Welcome to Case Foundations. This is part of our New Jersey Workers' Compensation webinar series. My name is Greg Lois. Thanks for joining us today. Um, let's dive into today's topic. Our topic is uh, going to look at what do we do at the beginning of a case? Are we making that decision to accept or deny the case? Uh, what kind of investigation can we do? What kind of investigation do we recommend or direct? Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about average weekly wage, and you're going to discover, man, it's such an easy concept in New Jersey. Of course, I have to talk about dreaded reopeners and a little teensy bit about medical provider claims. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, this is going to be a great and fun presentation. I'm excited to be here. Uh, next month, we're going to be continuing this. And as you can tell, uh, if you're playing along at home, we have completely changed our webinar series for this year. This is all new content, and we're trying to give a really strong overview course of the handling and defense of a New Jersey workers' compensation case. So uh, this month I'm going to be talking about case foundations. Uh, next month in March we're going to be talking about medical benefits and motions for med and temp and how to defend them. In April we're going to start talking about lost time benefits and return to work issues. And we're just going to continue to go through a very revised and updated curriculum. Uh, we're really going to try to get this into a very um, practical and easy to apply format. So that's my goal as we go through our courses uh, over the next year. Um, quickly, I just want to touch on what Lois Law Firm is all about. We want to be the absolute best place to work in the insurance defense industry. Of course, we handle workers' compensation cases and we want to be the go-to firm for the top employers, the top carriers nationally. In New Jersey, our mission is to take control and stay in control of a Jersey workers' compensation case. Our goal is to drive these cases to closure. If you've been defending cases in New Jersey, you know that this is a very frustrating jurisdiction. Courts move slowly. Judges will adjourn a case. Adversaries will ask for continuances at all time. And it's really our job to get in control of this case and drive it across the finish line. I also tell you that this mission should be your mission, employers, to stay in control of the medical on a New Jersey workers' compensation case. Our statute, Section 15, gives you an incredible power, and that power is to control and direct all medical care. Well, don't lose control of that case. Stay in control of it. Uh, use that power to control and direct medical care to move your case forward, and that's really how we defend cases in this jurisdiction. Everything I do and everything our firm is built on is built on our values, and our values are that of creativity, advocacy, professionalism, and service. I really think the two most important things in our firm are being creative and coming up with creative ways to move cases forward and also being service-oriented. Uh, it's an important goal for us to make sure we keep being responsive to our clients and clarifying uh, what's going on in these cases. This jurisdiction, you've got to take some risks to move your cases forward. We're here to do that with you. I hate it when my clients get taken advantage of in New, York, New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court. We're here to help serve you, make sure that doesn't happen. As I go through these topics, and this will be true for the rest of the year, my goal is to connect it to that mission, which is staying in control, so you can keep that idea of driving that case to closure front of mind. Uh, most of these classes are going to be about 45 minutes or so, and I will open these up at the end for questions and answers. Uh, you can type your questions in as we go. Uh, sometimes people will ask me questions. I will, uh, as I'm speaking, that's great. Please do that. 
I will then at the end open up the question pane uh, and I will answer as many of your questions as you can. I will not embarrass you, so go ahead and ask that question even if you think it's silly. Um, you might be asking a question you think is silly or basic, but believe me, there's somebody else listening to this webinar right now or listening to the recorded audio of it, and they're like so glad that you asked that question. Um, all of these webinars are recorded. They are all available on our website. Um, I also want to uh, encourage everyone, check out our handbooks. We do have a New Jersey handbook to workers' compensation law. The 2023 edition is available on our website for download. That is loislc.com slash publications. You can download that updated handbook right now. I'd also tell you, um, coming to the webinars is great, but I know nobody needs another video meeting in their life. Uh, so all of these videos uh, from these webinars are available on our website. And they're also available as a podcast, which might be the best way to sort of catch up. Uh, you can go to loislc.com slash podcasts. Uh, we have, we release four podcasts a month on different topics in workers' compensation law, and you can go back through there and listen to all of them. It's really a good way to catch up on what's been going on. If you want to take things to the next level, I would encourage you to listen to my partner's podcast. Uh, it's called Third Fridays. It's uh, released by Christian Cson, and guess what? It's released each month on the third Friday of the month. It's also available at loislc.com slash podcasts. And he really goes to the next level. These are really 201 or 301 level discussions. He brings in attorneys, he does interviews, and he talks about emerging issues in the law. This month, February 17th, his podcast topic was about medical provider applications in New Jersey and the application of the Watrick decision, which we just obtained at the trial court level. It's a very useful decision for us in defending medical provider claims, and he goes into great depth and, in fact, has Addison O'Donnell from our appellate department on his podcast, as well as Corey Benavides, one of the attorneys in our New Jersey practice group, uh, commenting on how that decision can help shape uh, the defense of medical provider apps. So that's something I would encourage people to check out. All right, let's dive into our topic. And the first question we have when we're defending a New Jersey workers' compensation case is, am I accepting this case or am I denying this case? Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some Jersey lingo. The case begins um, with the injured worker filing a claim petition. Uh, before the claim petition is filed, there is no litigation. There's nothing going on in court. Um, there, therefore, the, the claimant in New Jersey is usually referred to as a petitioner. Again, they're filing a claim petition. Why are they not called a claimant? I don't know. They're called the petitioner in this jurisdiction. Because we file a response of pleading, the employer and carrier is referred to as the respondent in the workers' compensation case. Now, most cases begin, the litigation anyway, begins with the petitioner filing a formal claim petition. There is no specific format or form that petitioners have to use. These are now all filed electronically, uh, but uh, over the years, many people have uh, accepted or taken the all-state legal form, and that's what they use as their claim petition. That's how most cases begin. Uh, sorry, lip formal litigation begins. The other way a case can begin in this jurisdiction is with the uh, petitioner filing a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits. If they do that, they're trying to take medical control of the case away from you. Those need to be answered, and the time to answer that is either 20 days from when the motion is filed or within 30 days after uh, if, if the motion is the first filing in the case. Um, the answering statement always has to be filed within 30 days of the filing of a formal claim petition. Now, uh, what happens if we don't answer 
in time. The petitioner can then move ahead and file a motion to default us. And if granted, they can either strip our defenses or limit our proofs or both, okay? Uh, however, in practice, a default is extraordinarily rare. In fact, I've been doing this for 23 years. I don't think I've ever seen a client get defaulted, not once. If you do get defaulted, you have an appeal as of right, or you could move for reconsideration. But generally speaking, if you haven't filed a response to a claim petition that's been filed against you, contact counsel quickly because, again, we can file a late answer, and most of the time that's not going to result in a default. Now, your decision that you're going to need to make is whether to accept or deny this case. You should accept a case if there is no legal or factual objections to be made to the compensability of that case. Um, you can accept a case and not waive your right to later deny or dispute that case. And that's an important distinction in this jurisdiction. Um, you can uh, change your answering position, meaning going from an acceptance to a denial, right up until the first day of trial. I know that sounds crazy because that could, the distance in time could be years from the time the, the uh, claim petition is first filed until a trial eventually begins, but that's the rule in this jurisdiction, and it's actually in the court rules. Um, now, even if you accept a case, you still have the right to dispute the necessity of particular care, uh, the uh, necessity to pay for temporary disability benefits, uh, the necessity to pay for permanent residual disability benefits. That's always at play. Um, now, you should deny a case when you have a reason to deny it, which could be either legal or factual. You can also deny a case just because you need more time to investigate that case fully. That's absolutely okay in this jurisdiction. However, I would just caution you, if you deny or dispute a case, you may lose medical control of the case because think about what you're doing there. You're telling the court and adversary, yeah, we don't think that this is a workers' compensation compensable event. We're not paying for medical treatment. And so if you deny a case, you may lose one of your chief weapons, your chief powers in your case, which is to control and direct medical. So be thoughtful about the denial. If you do file a denial and you want to withdraw that denial, again, you can always change your position right up until the first day of testimony. So practical application. Uh, when you're filing, accepting, or denying a case, there's box four on the uh, electronic claim form, and that's going to control whether the case is accepted or denied. You can always change that accepted case to controverted later. Um, an accepted case can be denied right up until the claimant first has to take, uh, get on the stand and give testimony. So really, you've got a lot of time to make that decision. Now, let's talk about some denial reasons, legal reasons that are unique to New Jersey. The first one is the statute of limitations. The statute of limitations in New Jersey begins to run two years from the date of the accident or the last payment of compensation, whichever is later. So I tell you, this is a danger zone. Uh, particularly where the date of loss is years in the past and claimant's attorney comes forward to you and says, hey, uh, we never filed a formal claim here, but my guy just wants to go to one day of medical care. He just wants to get checked out. Uh, I think this is a minor case. Would you send him for that one-time visit to a doctor? Be very thoughtful about answering yes or no. If you answer yes, you may have just restarted the statute of limitations in your case. So just be mindful of that. It's a common ploy. In the occupational exposure claims, those are your repetitive trauma claims, your cumulative exposure claims, your inhalation injuries, your occupational exposure to loud noises cases. 
the two-year statute of limitations runs from the date the employee, quote, knew or should have known, close quote, about their condition and its relationship to the employment. New Jersey also has a very confusing notice statute. You can deny a case in New Jersey for lack of notice, but just take into account the bizarre notice statutes. There's three real notice timelines. First is that the employee must provide affirmative notice, that's written notice, to the employer within 14 days of the accident. But if they don't do that, and the employer has constructive notice of the loss, then the claimant has up to 30 days to give us notice. What's constructive notice? Well, it's, hey, you saw the person or someone else in the, in the location said, hey, I know that uh, Tom fell off the ladder last week. I, I heard about it. Uh, or I know Tom got hurt last week. And the reason we know about it is we saw an ambulance come here and pull up. That's constructive notice, right? It's not written or formal notice. Now, let's say the, the claimant doesn't give you notice within 14 days and that you don't have constructive notice within 30 days. The statute then goes on to say that, well, as long as some kind of notice is provided within 90 days and there's no prejudice, then the 14-day and 30-day requirement is relaxed. So this is a bizarre jurisdiction that essentially does everything possible to extend the time to give notice to up to 90 days. Uh, there, are, there is case law on what is prejudice to the employer, and the argument you need to be able to make is, hey, but for us not being given notice timely, we were not able to uh, perform a, a full investigation into this accident. So be mindful, it's, a, it's got three different notice requirements with three different dates. Now, New Jersey also has some shorter notice requirements as well. In a hernia case, they have to report a hernia injury within 48 hours of occurrence. If it is not reported within 48 hours of occurrence, then the hernia injury is not going to be deemed compensable or work-related, and notice will not have been deemed to have been given. This is really to protect the employer from mystery hernia cases that come in on Monday mornings uh, after the petitioner has not been in the employment. Um, Sunday, Saturday, or any uh, work holiday is excluded from that 48 hours, hours of notice. All right, let's turn from accepting denying or legal reasons to accept deny to factual reasons to accept or deny. What kind of investigations should we be doing in the context of a New Jersey workers' compensation case? Well, the first thing is uh, I'm going to ask my clients for personnel files. I'm going to ask them for witness statements. What kind of information do we know about this alleged loss? Um, I'm going to also ask for a wage statement. In this jurisdiction, there is no required format or filing of any wage statement. And typically, we're going to be looking for a 26-week look back. That's a six-month look back on wages. In the insured context, meaning my clients who are I'm representing who also have an insurance carrier, before we start contacting employers directly, we're typically going to ask you if we can contact that employer directly. I want to respect the chain of command and also make sure that communications are clear between all the parties. In the self-insured context, those are my clients that have either large deductibles or, or are purely self-insured, um, usually the risk professional who's referring the case to us for defense is going to give us the correct identity of the employee or uh, contact that we can communicate with. What kind of investigation are we looking at typically? Well, New Jersey does require a first report of injury, a FROI statement. However, the penalty for failing to file a FROI in this jurisdiction is only $15, and typically we don't see them being filed. Uh, we're going to be asking for any accident or incident reports that the employer has made uh, related to this loss. Um, now, just be thoughtful about those accident or incident reports. 
under the relevant disclosure or discovery rules in this jurisdiction, which are contained within the New Jersey Administrative Code, uh, we may have to turn over our accident report to opposing counsel. Uh, if they request it, we will be required to turn it over. So we want to be thoughtful about what's going into those accident or incident reports. In some accident or incident reports, it might be wise to secure counsel before you complete the investigation so that we can privilege or protect the in information within that report. In New Jersey, under the relevant discovery rules, opposing counsel can also request the opportunity to come into the premises and perform an inspection of the premises to look at the place where the accident actually occurred, to um, uh, observe or uh, take samples. They can also ask for any equipment that was involved in the accident to be sequestered or set aside so that they'll have an opportunity to look at that equipment. And generally speaking, we're gonna wanna cooperate with this. And the reason we wanna cooperate with them is because this can then form the basis of them filing a third party action or a civil lawsuit against some other potentially liable party. Again, that might give us the opportunity for either reimbursement or subrogation. So we will generally be uh, pretty cooperative with those kinds of requests. I also think it's best practice in this jurisdiction, and in fact, every jurisdiction that I defend clients, to request a prior claims um, history. Now, uh, you can get a, a version of this for free from the New Jersey Division of Workers' Compensation. Their Courts Online website uh, contains a list of all related cases going back to the late 1970s for any claimant with an active social security number and a prior New Jersey workers' compensation case. So that could be done for free. We can search the docket and identify any prior claims for the same claimant. That's useful. However, it is limited to only New Jersey workers' compensation cases. So if you're uh, petitioner in your New Jersey workers' compensation cases had 10 prior personal injury lawsuits involving motor vehicle accidents or slip and falls or premises liability or manufacturing defect injuries or uh, any other types of losses, they will not be reflected in that. And so we think the best way to get to prior claims history or do a prior claims history search is first to do one on the Division of Workers' Compensation's uh, electronic docketing system website but then also to get an ISO or Claims Index Bureau report of all prior claims filed by that particular petitioner. Okay, let's turn quickly to average weekly wage, which is a really easy concept in this jurisdiction. It is defined by statute, Section 37, so that to define the average weekly wage, we need to look back at the 26 weeks which immediately preceded the subject loss. So we're really looking to six months of wages. The statute also says that some factors can increase or decrease the pre-injury wage, and that would be room and board, and a minimum of $25 per week if there is no set value in the employment contract. And I've seen that come into play, for example, uh, with the use of migrant workers or temporary workers or guest workers to do farm-related work. New Jersey is called the Garden State. We have a tremendous number of farms and orchards and vineyards and cranberry bogs and everything else that do have a large number of uh, guest or temporary or migrant workers. So any room and board that's offered to them uh, would also be um, increasing their pre-injury wage, uh, as well as any tips and gratuities, but only if those are reported. So to calculate the average weekly wage, uh, we're really just gonna look at 26 weeks of earnings and we're gonna divide it by the number 26. 
And that's how we're going to get average weekly wage. And I know that sounds really simple, particularly for those who do other states. You're going to be like, wow, that's so easy. Uh, but it is in this jurisdiction, and that law has been relatively unchanged since 1913 and applied very um, you know, uh, uh, consistently since that time. Now, for uh, hourly workers, um, you're supposed to take their pre-injury hourly weight and rate and multiply it by the usual number of hours to arrive at a multiplier average weekly wage. But the truth is no one does that, and practically speaking, we don't see that. Practically speaking, we'll see employers just use a 26-week look back even for hourly workers. All right, let's move to the uh, last topic here, which is reopeners. Reopeners are a tremendous annoyance in this jurisdiction. Uh, under Section 27 of our workers' compensation law, the employee has the right to apply to review or modify a formal award of compensation if they can prove that there has been a, quote, material worsening, close quote, of their condition. Uh, what is a material worsening? Really, it's just them complaining. It's really just saying, I think I feel worse. Uh, there does not have to be any objective medical evidence to support these claims of material worsening. And in fact, in all my years of doing this for 23 years, it's only a handful of cases where the claimant has had new interim medical care or significant objective evidence of a material worsening, which would satisfy Daubert or Rule 704 or any other scientific inquiry. The truth is, most of the time, these reopener claims are filed as of right, simply as a money grab. Um, now, how do we combat them? Well, we can serve some discovery. We also are allowed to serve them with form interrogatories. However, the majority of these cases, there is no scientific or objective medical evidence of any type of worsening. And the majority of these cases are then resolved by way of Section 20 for a lump sum dismissal. That is a, here's $5,000, go away, never come back. And that's how the majority of these are resolved. Now, some best practices on reopeners, um, just in case you are defending them. And by the way, roughly one in four cases that's currently pending before the Division of Workers' Compensation is a reopener case. Some rules that I'd like you to live by. First, never, ever send the petitioner back to the treating physician uh, after you've resolved or settled a case under an order-approving settlement. That will always lead to a reopener claim. Further, where the claimant has filed a reopener, do not send them back to the treating physician. I've, I've seen this happen and seen this request come in many times from adversary counsel. They'll say, hey, they filed a reopener, their condition is worsening, they just want to go back to the treating doctor. Can you please approve it? You should never approve it. Uh, that's not wise. Uh, you never know what the treating physician is going to say. They might give credence to the petitioner's complaints, which again are not going to be scientific, they're not going to be objective, they're just going to be saying, oh, my knee that I hurt three years ago, oh, it hurts worse now. Nothing to support it, nothing but subjective complaints, and that will lead to you having to restart essentially the defense of your entire case. Do not do it. Our advice would be to send them back to the IME physician who last evaluated them. In a reopener case, you should press for all discovery. Remember that they have to provide us with answers to interrogatories. If they are not received, we should file a motion to compel that discovery. And only after they respond to our discovery demands should we send them to a medical examination. And the medical examination is for the purpose of demonstrating that there is no objective worsening, no scientific proof 
that their condition has worsened because in 99.9% .9 of the cases, there will be no scientific proof that their condition has worsened. We generally recommend only sending the petitioner back to the last defense medical expert who last examined that petitioner at our request because that's the person who had the best um, opportunity to uh, examine them uh, initially. That's why we think they should go back to that person again because they can compare their own notes and try to make this somewhat objective. Reopeners should be defended aggressively. All right, let's talk about some takeaways from today's discussion. I will tell you that investigation and the facts that we developed early on in the case are gonna be the key to deciding whether to accept or deny. As we're gonna see in future presentations, average weekly wage drives exposure in your New Jersey workers' compensation case. And so you're going to wanna make sure that that is calculated accurately early in your case so that you're ready to fully defend your matter. And finally, be careful about reopeners. We really wanna shut down reopeners and we wanna steer them into a lump sum dismissal value. Do not treat them like a regular case or you will end up with having to relitigate your case and start all over again from the beginning. And that only benefits the claimant. All right, uh, that's the key takeaways I wanted to give you today. Let's move into questions and answers. Let's see what kind of questions we have. All right. Kim says, is anyone else having audio issues? Oh, then she says, good now. Okay, good, glad you got us. Um, Miriam asked me the question, Greg, how long is the average case open until closed for a second injury fund case? I would think that it would be the respondent or insurance company that is involved. All right, so an interesting question about second injury fund cases, and we are gonna um, have a whole presentation on second injury fund cases. The second injury fund was designed to come in and um, be responsible for or liable for all exposure for pre-existing injuries in the totally disabled claimant. The second injury fund is very good for us as employers or carriers because the second injury fund is going to come in and take a portion of our liability or exposure. And going forward, we're going to have a reduced exposure because of that. So generally speaking, where the claimant is a totally disabled claimant and we can obtain some contribution from the second injury fund, that's going to be advantageous to us as the employer or the carrier. So we're absolutely going to want to encourage that and obtain that contribution. How long it takes for the second injury fund to actually get involved in the case um, is gonna be uh, in the hands of the petitioner. The petitioner files the application to join the second injury fund into the case. And then from the time the second injury fund is joined into the case to the time that the second injury fund actually contributes and the case is resolved can take months in the case of a simple case where the fund is admitting exposure and liability or it could take years where the second injury fund is saying, oh no, no, we have no exposure or liability and we're not paying into this matter. In those circumstances, it might take up to two years for the case to go to court and be fully tried and have a judge issue a judgment saying the second injury fund is required to contribute to exposure, reduce exposure. So it's gonna be quite dependent on what the um, position of the second injury fund is that's going to be either contributing or resisting contribution to your New Jersey workers' compensation case. All right, so I hope that's a responsive answer to what you're looking for there, Miriam. If not, feel free to email me and I can elaborate on that or we can have a call, we can elaborate on that. All right, great, that's all the questions that I see here today. So um, next month, 
We're going to talk about motions for med and temp and medical benefits in general. And then we're going to start talking about specific topics um, and how we defend cases in this jurisdiction. Thanks for joining me, everybody. I hope you have a great day and a great rest of your week. Uh, and I hope everyone does well in this storm that is allegedly approaching here tonight. Uh, we're supposed to get a lot of snow and some uh, maybe some ice in the morning. Hope everybody stays safe out there. All right, everybody, have a great day. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.